We are going to be, my notes are out of order, uh oh, this might be interesting, huh? So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, is our platform verse through this series, His Kingdom, My Choice. And our verse is this, it's Jesus teaching us to pray, and he says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the whole point of this is Jesus' concern about the heart of each of us, right? And so he's teaching us to pray because when we pray, we should be praying from the heart. We should be, we should be thinking about how to express ourselves to God from within. And he wants us to really pay attention to what our heart wants. And he wants our heart to want that God is above all things and that his kingdom, he, we should want the same thing here on earth as it already is in heaven. So our focus is the kingdom of Jesus, and our prayer is, God, help me understand that. I mean, help me understand what it really means to be focused on your kingdom and want the same thing that's in heaven here. And let me tell you, that's easier said than done, right? The theme, his kingdom, my choice, his kingdom, my choice? I mean, is it really? Like, that's my choice? You know, I don't know about you, but I want to want for his kingdom to be my choice. I want to want that, but sometimes I wonder, do I really want that? And that's different, isn't it? I think we'd all agree that we want to want it, but God wants so bad for us to move to a I want it mentality. So we're going to back up today. So this is where we are in Matthew chapter 6. But this is kind of the middle part of a sermon that Jesus had. So we're going to back up to kind of the beginning part, or close to it anyway. And so we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 5, just a little ways. We're going to start in verse 17. This is what Jesus says at the beginning of this discourse with this group of people. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. I think what Jesus is saying is, I didn't come to upset the apple cart. I didn't come to change anything. I didn't come to rewrite it. I didn't come to tell you that the prophets had it wrong and let me set it straight. I came because I wanted to show you how it ought to be done. I came to fulfill it. You know, all of those rules and those laws, I came to do every single one of those. And I came to put my, submit myself under God's authority. I came to do it exactly the way it ought to be done because it's not only going to be my behavior that, that does it, but it's also going to be my heart that does it. I want to do this. I want his kingdom to be first in my life. And I come to show you how to do that. Verse 18, it says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the wall until all is accomplished. Think about that just for a second. 
Until Jesus comes back, he doesn't intend to change a single thing that we read here. Not a single thing. And then he goes on in verse 19, he says, Therefore, whoever, now he's talking to us, right? Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, just pick one. Are there a few in here? Just pick them. He says, he says, if whoever relaxes, what does relax mean? Does it mean do away with? No, it just means to lower the bar, so, I suppose, right? To just, to just diminish it. Not maybe do away with, but just deplete it to what God intended it to be. But anyway, he says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, teaches others to deplete it, to lower it, to change it, will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, we should desire to do what Jesus does, and that is to... um, Acknowledge God's word has authority. And that he didn't want it messed with. He just wanted it obeyed. So Jesus doesn't want us to rewrite it. He doesn't want us to rearrange it. He doesn't want us to reinvent it. He just wants us to read it, understand it, and then obey it. He follows this intro there, and he, he shows that there is like this disconnect. He, that's his purpose of it, right? It's trying to show his audience that there's a disconnect between their heart and God. That, that they may obey some of it, sort of, but they don't, they don't want to. They may want to want to, but they don't want to. And so their attitude just comes out in the midst of that. And so he goes through quite a bit here just trying to help them understand that the reason that God has this do not murder, do not lust, do not lie, and all of these things is because your heart doesn't want what God wants. And so therefore he has to give you these these rules. That's the reason they're there. You know, most of you all are parents, right? Not all of you. Some of you are kids, and so you can relate to this as well. But sometimes you just have to make a black and white definite rule because you can't seem to reason with the child. They just butt up against it. They just try to go around it every time, and so you just have to make a hard, hard cut. Do not do this, or this is going to happen. And Jesus is just trying to help them understand that they have a a heart disconnect with their God. And so this is what he goes on to. He goes through this this scenario, right? He starts in verse 21. He says, you have heard that it was said long ago, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But, But listen to what Jesus says, but I say to you, Now, don't think that Jesus is changing anything because he already said that at the beginning, right? I didn't come to change anything. 
I came to fulfill it. He says, but I say to you, everyone who is angry at his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Because what Jesus is trying to convey to them is that it's, it's your heart is, got, is, is the issue here. You thought it was just about murder. Just you can go as far as you want to go in anger. Just don't kill the person. But Jesus is saying, you should, if you had anger in your heart, you, should, you shouldn't let that fester there. You shouldn't be watering that so that it grows. You should be throwing that out of your heart. And listen to what it's not just even you, it's not even just your responsibility just for you. Listen to what he says in verse 23. He says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Let's just say Devin has something. I hope you don't have anything against me, Devin. But if Devin has something against me, but I, but I know it. I just know that there's an issue there. Is it Devin's responsibility to come to me because he's the one that has something against me? No, it's my responsibility to go to him because I know he has something against me and I, and I don't want him to let that seed fester in his heart because that seed that festers in his heart will just get bigger and it'll get uglier and it'll, it'll start moving towards a heart that is just wrong against God. And so he says, leave your gift there. I should leave my gift at the altar and I should go to my brother Devin and I should, I should try to help him not have anger against me. Why? Because Jesus thinks the heart matters. That's where it grows. Like that's where he's saying that's it's in the heart is where murder comes from. If you took care of the anger and the insults and the, and the bitterness that is inside, it would never lead up to that. Spoken like a perfect son, though, right? Any of you have any siblings that just seem to always do the right thing and make you so stinking mad? Jesus came to fulfill it, and he did, and he just makes it seem like it's easier said than done. Verse 27, he says, You have heard that it is said, do not commit adultery. Nobody's going to disagree with that. Yeah, we heard that a zillion times growing up. But I tell you, don't even look. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In other words, all adultery, all of it, starts as being a heart problem before it becomes an action problem. Nobody, and I know we try to use this as an excuse. Well, I didn't plan it. I didn't. I didn't know it was going to happen. It, it's just, I don't even know what happened. Well, Jesus is telling you what happened. It's because you let that seed set there and you started watering. You watered it. And, and you let it grow. And you just kind of babied it along until it grew to that. Again, Jesus is saying that what is deep inside of our heart finds its way out. Whatever is there is going to show itself. And so when we're under stress, like we have been under stress the last four, five, six months, guess what? Stuff just starts coming out. And we should see, if, if it's not aligned with God, we should see that 
I must have a heart problem. For that to come out like that? Oh my. How serious does this perfect son think that it matters? How serious does he, does he think it matters? Listen to what he says in verse 19. He says, talking about lust, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Who in their right mind is going to do that? Well, he gives you a reason why you should. He says, for it is better that you lose your, one of your members that you, than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. How serious does Jesus take this heart issue? Then he addressed the heart thing with the D word. And I know that we just have to be a little bit sympathetic to this perfect son because he doesn't realize that we don't use the D word in a negative way anymore. But I suppose we ought to read it anyway. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. I just does that not find do you not find interest in that? He makes her commit adultery. So it's kind of on his shoulders it appears, right? That he didn't fulfill this vow, this covenant. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And on and on and on he goes, embarrassing us in front of each other. Jesus, this perfect son. Our hearts are not as good as we would like other people to think that they are. We're always trying to protect our self-image. That's why we manage our Facebook account and don't let somebody else manage it for us. (laughs) Because we really want to protect that image that we put out there. But I don't know. He ends with this, and he says this in verse 43. He says, You have heard that it is said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what you have heard it said. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And then he gives this logic. I think it's pretty good sound logic, right? If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do that? Nobody's going to see that you're any different than anybody if you love people that love you. That's what everybody does. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same thing? Yeah, because that's just what everybody does. How is it that you distinguish yourself from everybody else in this world? As a follower of Jesus, as somebody that belongs to a different kingdom than this world. How do you distinguish yourself? You love your enemies. And he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect because he loved his enemies and guess who you 
were before you came into this kingdom, before you gave your life to Jesus Christ, were baptized into him, guess what you were? You were enemies of God. And he loves you. And if you want to be perfect like your heavenly father, then you love your enemies. Remember how Jesus started this. I came to do all of the law. I didn't come to rewrite it, didn't come to change it, didn't come to not do it. I came to do it perfectly. To keep it, to show you how to do it from the heart. Jesus sums up what I just shared with you, what he shared with that audience in Matthew. He sums it up in Mark 7. This is what he says. Mark 7, verse 20, he says, And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. What comes out of here is, is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Verse 20, remember what he said there. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not have any part of the kingdom of heaven. Were the scribes and Pharisees bad people? Not outwardly, they weren't. Outwardly, they were probably some of the best people in that community. Outwardly, they were probably some of the most giving people in the community in the sense that they, they weren't murdering people because God's law says do not murder and things of that sort. But in essence, so what is he saying then? In essence, he's saying unless you change your heart, so it doesn't become like the scribes and the Pharisees, there's zero chance you're going to get into the kingdom of heaven. If you have a heart like the scribes and Pharisees, just, just count on not being a part of it. See, Jesus' audience, let's talk about that audience for a minute. They were always looking for loopholes. That's what they were doing. They were always looking for an excuse. Always looking for a, a, a way around the law and the prophets. Always looking for a way around... This right here. I know what it says, but they saw the law like, I'm just talking about the law, so don't, don't get upset at me for a second, but they saw the law, the way they perceived the law is kind of the way that we perceive the mask mandate from the governor. Let's just talk about that just for a second. How did we perceive the mask mandate? I'm talking about in our neck of the woods because it's not the same way in every neck of the woods and everybody's different. But for the mass majority of us in our neck of the woods, how did we perceive that mandate? We, we perceived it as controlling, right? Oppressive? Uh, of interfering with my free will? Frustrating? Stupid? Doesn't work anyway. 
Now, today's Christians would never have that attitude towards God's Word, would we? To ever see God's Word as frustrating, to ever see God's Word as, you know, messing with my free will, oppressive, no, we would never do that. In fact, that's why we wear masks, right? We wear them because we, we were told that in Romans chapter 13, God says, obey your governing authorities, for this is right. And he, he literally says, I, I ordain, I, I have put my approval on that. We would never do that. Because we read that, we will, we will do it because that's what children of the Father do. We wear our masks because we, the Bible tells us to care for other people. And there's no greater way right now in my little world to demonstrate to a complete stranger that, hey, I care enough about you, I'm going to keep my germs to myself. And I just want to try to convey that to you, that Jesus taught me how to love a stranger. And, and so I'm going to do that. We, so that's why we do that, right? We do it because the Bible has taught us how to behave. See, I'm terrible at jokes. Y'all should be laughing like right now. I'm pretty good at sarcasm, though. Raising children is so difficult, is it not? Now, you don't have to amen that, but I guarantee I'm surprised that God didn't come through the speaker. Amen. You know? Because he looks out at us, and I just think, man, he would so much approve that. Raising children is so difficult. And we are his children. I'm not, I'm not talking about making sure that they are cared for, you know, clothed and well-fed. That's, that's the easy part of raising a kid. You know what the hard part of raising children is? Well, you all know this anyway, but it is trying to get them to do what you want them to do because they want to do it. Trying to get them to want to become the person that you want and hope so bad for them to become. That's the hard part. You know, to, to get them to want to become what God wants them to become. Like it's their choice. That's what's really difficult. It's easy to discipline a child. Anybody agree with that? I mean, to stick them in time out. I mean, maybe it's a little painful in your heart, you know, because you have to discipline. But, but still, I mean, you can do it. You can stick them in time out. You can take away something they're really super fond of for a period of time. You can spank them. You, you know, you, discipline a kid is not that difficult. What's difficult is to use that power over them, right? Because that's what that is called, right? Power over to change their heart. That's what's difficult. I remember my dad, me and my brothers would go at it. I mean, sometimes we would put each other through the wall. I mean, literally through the wall. And there would be times that we would just be so angry at each other. And my dad would want to put an end to that, right? And so he would, like, have us come together, stand face to face, and he would tell you, you hug. We didn't want to hug. And we fought that, like, tooth and nail. I am not hugging. 
but he has power over us, and he demonstrated that to some degree. And eventually we hugged, but we obviously didn't hug like we liked to hug because he'd always followed up with what? You hug again, and you hug like you mean it, right? And I remember every time inside of me, I will outwardly display that I really mean this, but inwardly you will not change me. Inwardly, I am going to not like this. It is hard to change that part. It's not that hard to change the outward part. It is really hard to change the inward part. That's what Jesus is really talking about. I remember early on, (coughs) excuse me, I remember early on when we had Carrie and Micah and they were real little, and, and I was in charge of trying to get them to do something. I don't know if it was taking a bath, because that was always difficult, or picking up toys, because that was always difficult. But one of those two I was in charge of, and finally I would just, out of frustration, I turned to Lori and I said, I cannot, they will not do what I tell them to do. And I'll never forget what she said to me. I mean, for the long as I live here on this earth, I've forgotten some of the details around that, but I'll never forget her look at me And the four words that she said to me, it changed my parenting forever. It was actually five words because it was a compound word. You guys interested in knowing what it is? You're bigger than them. (laughs) My complaint was, is I can't make them, I can't get them to do what I want them to do. And she looks at me, she says, you're bigger than them. And it was game changing. It was just like, I am. I am so much the upper hand here. I got the power. It's like, I remember watching the Cosby show and Dr. Huxtable, you know, who delivers babies. He turned to his son, Theo, and he says, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of this world, right? Just that realization that you have the power to control behavior. I think we all agree that establishing authority is important in any, any situation. Establishing authority is important, whether it's military or sports or church or, or parenting or any, I don't, I don't care what it is. It's important to establish that, but it's not very effective at times. It can change outwardly behavior. Power over can change outward behavior, but it can't necessarily change the heart. A lot of people think that the God of the Old Testament, this is, this is the God of the Old Testament, just power over, just establishing his authority over his creation. And I would have to say that that's, yeah, a large part of it. I think there's a lot of verses that also said about how compassionate and loving he is. But I think that that is something that God knew that he had to establish with his mankind from the very beginning is to just, you need to know who, how this relationship works. I am, I am so bigger than you. And, and I have power over you. Jesus even points this out in Luke chapter 12, verse 5. He says this, but, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Right? He's just reminding them that don't, don't 
Forget the father who has authority. And they knew that this was true. The audience that Jesus is speaking to, they knew that this was true. They had been, I mean, how many stories do you think they sat around the campfire listening to the stories of God's wrath and, and God's righteous right hand coming down upon the people who refused to obey and they realized they weren't going to get away with it. But somewhere along the way, they stopped seeing God as an approachable God. There was a distance and a disconnect from their heart. All of a sudden, they just saw this God as a God of wrath, a God of righteous right hand, a God to fear, a God that I am not going to murder. I will take my anger all the way up there, but I'm not going to murder because once I step over murder, then I am liable to what the Father wants to do to me. And so they, they just lost this disconnect with their heart. They no longer wanted to have, they, they never saw that they had a relationship with their father. They just saw that their father was always angry when people crossed the line. So they wanted to avoid that. And so Jesus comes along and he's just trying to point out their dysfunction here. And the dysfunction and the disconnect with their hearts, with their father. Now, maybe you don't see it. And I want to be really serious here for just a second. Maybe you don't see it, but I see it everywhere around us. Right here in Coffeeville, outside of Coffeeville, it seems to have just been throughout the United States. But I have just witnessed this chaos showing us how disconnected so many of us are to our Father. We should be leading the way. From the moment that this come upon our community and our culture, our country, we should, as, as children of Jesus Christ, we should have been leading the way of love, of caring for one another, caring for our neighbor, caring for the strangers, generosity just flowing out of our veins, grace just flowing from us in every direction. And that's just not what I witnessed. I saw that we were you're not going to challenge me. You're not going to tell me what to do. And you remember who Jesus says, it's easy to love those who love themselves, but I tell you, love who? Who? Come on, church. Our enemies. I have no doubt that you can make a list of those. Nobody's going to tell me to obey authorities. No, uh-uh. Nobody's going to make me keep my germs to myself. Uh-uh, no. Nobody's, nobody's going to keep me out of a building to worship. Uh-uh, that's a... I can't worship anywhere else. No. Nope. 
We can read this, and we can read it, and I can take you to so many passages. It talks about how to love your enemies, how to love each other, how to be gracious to one another. I can take you to passages about how Jesus wants us, as far as it all depends on us, to live in harmony with one another, to not give up doing good, and, and, and all of this, but it just seems like that was just not even consideration. I would, sometime, if you ever see, I have not yet seen it, I don't know why, but if you ever see a mask that says, I wear this for Jesus and for you, just let me know I'm going to buy one. I've seen a lot of other things written on them. Authority had to be established at the Elrod house, let me tell you, because Lori and I knew right away that that little nine-year-old Micah, he was about to take over. He was such a strong-willed kid, and, and that sweet little Carrie, oh my goodness, her heart was so big. She was about ready to throw us out with her bathwater so that she could have more room for the cats and the dogs and anybody else that needed a home. And so authority had to be established at our home, and we knew that from the very beginning. But, and so fortunately we did, right? Power over. But it just doesn't work very well. I have to tell you one of my most embarrassing parenting situations, because Micah, he was really headstrong. He was defying us before he was out of diapers, just left and right. And, and I just remember after, you know, getting this revelation that I can stop this kind of stuff, right? I just decided that this power struggle's got to be done. And so I had processed this in my head. I had prepared myself, and I thought to talk to myself, and I was like, next time this happens, no more. I had, I had premeditated my weapon of choice, and boy, when he decided to defy us, I grabbed that fly swatter just as I had pictured in my head, flipped it around for the handle side, and I had also pictured in my head he's going to have a diaper on. I got to push a little harder because there's a ton of cushion there, and he's got to hear that if he's not going to feel it, right? About the third swipe back, or the swap back, Lori's just screaming, he doesn't have a diaper on, he has a pull-up. Oh, oh, my heart just sunk. I literally would have called the cops, turned myself in, but I felt like I needed to try to console. Although that's pretty hard to do when Lori wouldn't let me 10 feet from this kid at that point, you know. I'm telling you, I was scared. She sometimes scares me. (laughs) But here's let me tell you something. It actually worked. That power over, it can be pretty effective. Micah, you know, when I would just make a request, his little eyes would pop open. He would come to alert, and he would be at attention. He'd be like, what do you want me to do? But I remember thinking as a dad that that's not the kind of kid I want to raise. A kid that fears me and a kid that doesn't do what I want because he loves me and he knows that I love him. 
because I know that that is not very effective in the long run, right? Just power over, eventually it'll, it'll change maybe your behavior because you're trying to escape things. There's people that stay out of jail just because they don't want the consequence if they do this particular action, but it doesn't mean that their hearts are right. So I didn't want to raise a, a child that his heart wasn't right. I wanted to raise a child that wanted to do what's right because he wanted to please his father. He wanted, he wanted to just choose to do the right thing. You know what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 15? That He's stressing this. This is what he says. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. So that's what Jesus is after. He's shown them that they have a heart problem and they have a heart disconnect. And what he wanted to lead them to is a heart that responds to that right there. That is obedient to the things that we read in God's word because we love him. Not because we are frustrated or you're not going to tell me what to do or I know what that preacher says, but I'm not going to listen to him and I don't. I don't want you to make it about me. I just want you to tell me why you're going to do something different than what it says here. At least show me. This is what Jesus was bringing up. If you love me from your heart, you will do what I ask. Not looking for an excuse, not looking for a way of manipulating or reinventing or changing the law. Letting the law stay where it's at because it's not going to go away. If you love me, you will put your power under me and submit to me. This is the kind of people that God is wanting in his kingdom. Jesus knows that you can be forced And he knows uh, that he can change your heart. And he knows that authority over isn't going to get what he can't, wants to accomplish for you. So he, he's given you authority over, which is important, with a whole ton of love. And demonstrating that love for you. You know... Jesus, when he meets this Pharisee, remember, don't be like the scribes and the Pharisees. When he meets this Pharisee, Nicodemus, in the dark, he says, you need to be born again. He went through all that. But you know what he says to him in the midst of that? Because he knew this Pharisee needed to understand the love that God has for him and not that he just sees wrath, you know, this righteous right hand. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He did not come into this world to condemn this world. Right? He came into this world to save it. In John chapter 12, Jesus says these words in verse 27. He says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But no, this is, this is for what I came here to do. But this is the purpose that I have come to this hour. 
Father, glorify your name. And then a voice from heaven said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there heard it and they thought it had thundered. They didn't understand. Others said an angel had spoken. I'm curious about how you, what is it that you hear? When God, when Jesus is is demonstrating how much he loves you and what he was willing to go through to you, the agony he was feeling at that moment when he says, what do I do? I don't want to do this, but, but this is the purpose that I came. What is it that you hear? Jesus answered and he says, this voice has come from heaven for your sake, not mine. The reason is, is because Jesus wanted to demonstrate to all of his people that I love you and I suffer for you and I went through so much pain for you and I want you to know how much I care for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out? And I, when I am lifted up from this earth, will draw all people to myself. You see, the cross is a, is a drawing thing to us. Why? Because it shows us how much God loves us, how much he would go through for us. He has authority over us, but he mixes that authority over us with a relationship. He wants a relationship with us, and he shows how much he loves us and cares for us. If you don't, if that doesn't change your heart, if, if you don't look at the Father and see that he gave his one and only Son up for you, and if that doesn't change your inner person, if you, don't, if you look at Jesus and what he did for you, and it doesn't change your desire to want to be obedient from your heart, instead of just an outward, exterior obedience, I don't know what will. You have the perfect scenario. You have the perfect Father in heaven. You know, children in our world, children who are treated so well and have so many privileges and and are given so many things and opportunities and stuff, and yet they... Yet they take advantage of that or they, they um, uh, don't, I don't know what the word I'm trying to think, but uh, they don't respond well to that. What do we call them? We have a word for it. Spoiled rotten. I, I'm amazed that when somebody is spoiled rotten, they almost say it like it's a badge of honor. I'm spoiled I'm spoiled rotten. I don't want you to think that that's what I'm getting at here because I think it should be a badge of uh, shame. But are are you a spoiled rotten Christian where you've been given so much and you have the perfect Father in heaven and you have this perfect Jesus that's more than a brother? And they suffered and died and get to give you so much privilege. And you don't want to behave from the heart? This table. That's here and back there. It's an invitation to a relationship is what it is. 
It's, a, it's an invitation to a relationship. You see, there is authority here, is there not? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. The Bible says that every knee at some point, whether, whether it's here on earth or once you leave here, everybody's knee will bow because there's authority here. But there's also love here. And, the, and this love invites you into a relationship. There's a relationship invitation here to come around his table, to drink of this juice that represents his blood, to take of this cracker thing that represents his body. And he invites you to do that. He's wanting that to change your heart. It should change your heart. So when you come to the table, you should be desiring, God, whatever your word says, hey, Sign me up. I want to be that kind of child. Not one that's always trying to look for a loophole like the Pharisees and the scribes. We know how they're going to fare. I want to be the child who wants to choose you and to love you and to be obedient to you. It is your choice. His kingdom, my choice. It's your choice. You have before you the greatest opportunity ever to demonstrate that you belong to Jesus. When you step out of this, you take and you come around this communion and you partake of this and you remind that you are his and you always belong to him. And when you step out into this world, you have the biggest opportunity that I think that in my lifetime of showing that you are different. That you have a kingdom that is different than this kingdom of this world. Let me pray. Father God, we uh, thank you so much that your word has authority. That your spirit has authority. And that this table has authority. And Jesus has authority. The real question, Father, that you have presented to us is, will we submit to that authority? Will we humble ourselves before you and to let you be the Father and let us be the obedient children? We thank you that we get to have this relationship because you have initiated it. We thank you that we have the privilege, Father, of representing you to our brothers in this room and sisters in this room and also to represent to those who don't know you. We should be a fragrant offering to the people who are perishing. Don't let us be a stench. Help us love you, Father. You're such a good Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.